so much for joining us again today. My name is Diego Ochoa. I'm superintendent of the San Mateo Foster City School District, and I'm really delighted to be with you all today on the One SMFC podcast. There's a really exciting episode where we are inviting parents and actually students from the district to be on our podcast. Let's give a round of applause for today's episode. And, and I'm here with three really great people who are going to be a part of this podcast. Each one is going to introduce themselves and tell us all about who they are, starting with... Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Cristian Rualcaba, and I'm the Director of School Leadership. Uh, and in my role, I have the great honor uh, of leading our community schools initiative in our district's five community schools in the making. Hello, my name is Anabella Calderon. Um, I am a student at uh, San Mateo Park School, and um, I am attending this podcast today. That's our school, San Mateo Park School. You've got the big, beautiful trees over there. I think some of those trees are 100 years old or maybe even older than 100. Do they talk to you about that at school? Um, well, uh, mostly they just like talk about of like what kind of trees it is and how old they are. But yes, they do talk about that. When our families go there for the first time, I'm always really amazed by how they react. The trees are gorgeous. The shade everywhere at that school. It's a really beautiful place to be. Um, when did you start at San Mateo Park? So I started in third grade. Uh, I moved to San Mateo, um, Three years ago, okay. I started. I finished second grade in my old school, and then I started third grade here. Nice. And now I'm in fifth grade, and I'm gonna finish fifth grade it's here. It's your last year. Yes. <laughs> the best year. <laughs> yeah. But you're not here by yourself. We have somebody else on our podcast. Introduce yourself for us. My name is Tania Toala. I am a parent in this, in this district. I have a fourth grader at Fiesta Gardens and a seventh grader at Abbott. So you have the two different schools, the two different start times, two different end times. Yes, it is complicated some days. Your student over at Abbott has a lot of teachers. Yes. Six yeah. or seven different teachers? Six, because Something he's like in that. the immersion program. So, so he's got a couple of classes with the same teacher. Yes. Um, but you have a new principal there. Yes. And we're New assistant so principals. Yes. And how's it going so far? So far, very good. Yeah. Uh, we we were sad to to lose um, Mr. Figueroa, Mr. Figueroa, for from the immersion program, but we're happy for him, and we are positive that it will make good changes for the whole school. Definitely, yeah. uh, Mr. Figueroa taught in the immersion program last year. Now he's one of the assistant principals. You also have some new counselors there, uh, Dr. Volcaba. We're here with a student from San Mateo Park, a parent that's representing. Abbott Middle School and Fiesta Gardens International School, and you as a as a director who's been monitoring this community schools process, you're working with a lot of different schools. Help our our families and our staff learn a little bit more about what schools you've been working with. Yeah, no, it's been uh, a great journey. We started off at the beginning of last school year um, with year one of the multi-stakeholder input process for our five schools um, that received this planning grant, including San Mateo Park, Fiesta Gardens, Sunnybrae, Laurel, and Lead, And it's been great. Um, I think when we started off the initiative, 
um, you know, parents were showing up to the community evening events, just curious about what a community school was, right, and what the grant was all about. Um, as we started meeting more routinely, right, I would come out every month, roughly, um, we could started to see the crowds growing, right, um, where we started off at the beginning of the year with 20 or 30 parents. By the end of the year, we're, we're talking like over 100 parents. Um, and that was the case actually at the end of last school year at San Mateo Park, if you recall. That's right. And those meetings, when you meet with those families, they are separate. So you meet with Sunnybreeze staff and families, and it's a different meeting Correct. than the meeting for the Laurel staff and Correct. families. Why is that? Why do you separate them in that way? I think it's important to uh, understand the assets of each school. Every school has different qualities. That These schools are very different from, very one, different another. from one another. It's If you go and spend time at Fiesta Gardens International School, it's really different than San Mateo Park. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also, as we're looking for feedback from families, we want to make sure that the community schools that we're tailoring, I mean, there will be some similarities because we're following the California Four Pillars model. But if you have a meeting, because some of these schools... Yeah. You'll have 60 or 70 people there. Right. So if you did that and you put all five schools together, that's almost 300 people. That's right. How much are people going to be able to give their opinion if they're in a room with 300 other parents? So I think part of it is also yeah. just to, because for you, that's five meetings you're holding instead of one meeting. Correct. It's more time. Right. And you probably spread it out over multiple weeks. Correct. Yes. Um, and you're absolutely correct. I think what's really crucial in this process is ensuring that every family at each site feels heard and valued. Um, and so their contributions need to be actively collected at these meetings so that part of the design includes their voice. And that's, and that's what the empowerment process is all about, is ensuring that families ha feel that comfort, right, that safety, uh, sense of safety to be able to share what it is that they feel our kids need to thrive, right? To take us to the next level. And then when you come across a school where they're starting to get some ideas together, this is the year now you have a district steering committee and now the schools are starting to create much more specific plans and much more clear ideas about what needs to change in each one of those schools. Is that fair to say? That's absolutely fair to say. At this point in our journey, um, we've received a lot of input. I mean, hundreds of ideas from each school. And the steering committees, which is part of the shirt leadership pillar, um, their task is really to sift through the data, right? I facilitate the process, but I don't actually touch the data. I don't manipulate, you know, no one does, right? What they now do is they come up with the trends, right? You know, they determine like the top 10 or 15 ideas that the families have uh, at each community. So it's really, really exciting to see that process. And we're joined today by one of our parents. And, uh, you know, you have kids at two different schools. And I'm curious to know, when you think about a school like Abbott, we have teenagers at that school. What comes to mind for you about things that we can do to improve programs and services for students at Abbott? What are some ways that we could do our work better there? 
So I think one of the challenges, though, is that the schools, the middle schools, are so big. There are just too many students. So it is very hard to, to really understand what is happening because you have so many personalities. And also the fact that the teachers, they go through so many teachers during the day. It's not that you have someone that can be with them all day long to understand what these kids are going through. Um, so I, I don't know if there is a possibility to have smaller groups, um, not necessarily smaller uh, schools, but somehow divide the existing schools. And group the kids group together. Group the kids, yeah, in a, in a different way. So that you know, kids with specific needs have one way of doing things, and then other kids that are more interested in, let's say, sports, for example, they do something more towards that goal. Actually, most Abbott students will go to Hillsdale High School when they leave Abbott. I believe that's actually part of what happens at Hillsdale, where students are part of these learning groups, these cohorts of kids, um, and it's working really well for Hillsdale high school and it's just up the street it might be something we learned from them yeah probably something that could be implemented at the school level as well so that's that's part of it to make the kids feel more connected but you also have a child at fiesta so i'm sure you have some ideas on how to improve programs and services at fiesta what would you suggest for a school like fiesta I think communication is something that needs to be looked at because up to these days, there are still families that don't know what is going on. So the first thing would be to um, to find other channels to get to the parents, even if it's like a one-on-one communications at this point. I like go through the entire 400 families and, and make sure that they know what's going on. That would be the first thing. And I'm sure that that will also engage more people if they are aware of of what the district is doing. I think it's also important to open up for our students to be able to tell us what school is like for them. And and when we do that, I think we're going to hear it from the kids who are experiencing it. When you're at school on a day-to-day basis, what really gets you excited about being at school? What really gets me excited is um, like also like uh, spending time with my friends and like knowing that I'm gonna learn like a different um, like something different um, today and knowing that today might be better than yesterday if I had a bad day and also getting to uh, learn more about like let's say like uh, now we're learning about corn and uh, it's like interesting like you always have this question like oh what are we going to learn today or um what else are we going to talk about so that's a a little bit exciting for me to be able to like question myself like oh what are we going to learn today or what are we going to talk about today and um sometimes uh we have a uh, silent reading and sometimes when I finish my book I'm like okay what book should I read and you mentioned reading and and your school has this great library that's right at the almost at the front of the school. When you go into the library, what books stand out to you? What do you want to read when you go in there? Um, well, in my opinion, my favorite books are usually like mystery books, um, chapter books, or like fantasy books um, because I really like them because uh, it's like something that you can actually imagine in your mind and it's like... Um, very entertaining for me because you can imagine it in your mind and you can 
pretend to be somebody you're not or like pretend to be in the book like you can pretend to be the main character and for me that's like being in a play so like you you um read your role and the um best part for me reading a book is that you can invite other people so you can basically also make like a play like somebody can have their role and you can have your role and it's super fun and then when you're in class with your teacher and with the rest of your classmates what activities in class with your teacher um, stand out to you? What what really works for you in class? Um, well, something that works for me is like um, working with a partner, working with a group, because um, in my opinion, you can actually like share your idea with other people so they can hear it. And it's um, like, like be, it feels like you're actually being heard. So it's um, very exciting. So uh, and also um, a very popular game in my class is Silent Ball. So whenever people uh, play that, like everyone gets so um, excited about playing it. And I feel like that's also like really fun, like actually playing with um, your classmates and actually making more friends. So um, you can like uh, be playing with other people, even though like you don't really like like it that much but like you'll warm up to um no, you have to explain the game tell me what the <laughs> game is I, I, now you got me excited i want to play this this game explain so it to basically me. um what you do in my class you sit on your um desk and uh there's a um you have to be um like silent and it's basically in there's the name about a thousand teachers that just said oh we're not playing that game <laughs> in my classroom um so you it, like you have to be totally silent like if you um, talk you get out of the game so there's a couple of rules like no talking no throwing the ball like really hard no getting chaotic and um <laughs> and uh like no like jumping off uh on the desks or anything like that so most of the rules are about not hurting yourself yeah and then what do you, how does the, what is the, what happens in the game? So you have to throw the ball, um, okay. like sometimes the teacher says like, okay, one second hold. So you have to like, you can only hold the ball for one second and then uh, you have to throw it. Okay. So, um, usually like people are like so excited and like whenever somebody loses, they're like. Kind of like hot potato. Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> like mostly like hot potato. And if you're holding it at the end, are you winning or are you out? Um, so kind of like if you hold it more than one second, if the teacher says that you're, um, out. So, um, you have to be really fast with your reflexes. Like you have to, um, have like really fast movements. Um, and sometimes uh, people just hit the ball with their hand and it goes flying out of the classroom. So somebody has to go get it. And then the person that hit it like gets out. Um, it gets a bit chaotic in my class, but usually like it's super fun to play. Well, and, and we want, as a teacher, we want kids to have fun in class. So sometimes these games, they add a little bit of fun to break up the day, to give kids something to look forward to. When, when as a parent, you send your, your child to Fiesta or to Abbott, what are the events that the school puts on that you look forward to as a parent? Because, you know, there's some special events that happen throughout the year. What, what are those events that you really look forward to? So yeah, so at Fiesta specifically, we do have several um, events throughout the year, like Fiesta Hispana, for example. Um, we have the Carnaval at the end of the year. 
So all those um, events, they, um, they get the kids excited because they know that they are going to be at the school, but it's completely unstructured time. So they are free to roam and play as much as they can. And for parents, it gives the opportunity to connect with other families you know, and, and establish more um, closer relationships. So if the school district is moving towards community schools and you are at a school that already has two events that are very powerful to create community, then those are examples for a school like San Mateo Park that doesn't have Fiesta Hispana. But there are a lot of Latino students at that school. Mm-hmm. And a similar experience might be something that the families at that school, Dr. Wakaba, through the community schools process, this might be something that they develop and create, is that right? That is correct. Um, And part of the role of the steering committees at each site, as they're developing their plans, their assets list, and like the things that they wish, you know, to use the funding for, these plans are then used and shared with the other sites. We just assembled a district level steering committee. And part of the purpose of this steering committee is to have the different schools talk to one another, right? After the input process, right? Um, And that's where those opportunities come in of sharing and, you know, these ideas that I think can be implemented at other sites like Fiesta, you know, know, this Latino kind of infused um, festival, right? That, That would help a school like San Mateo um, with so many parents who come from a Latino background. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind, you know, the district level steering committee for the community schools. And actually, one of our middle schools, Burrell, puts on, they call it an international fair. They, they have two gymnasiums, one big one and one smaller, older gymnasium. And they have the gymnasium set up for three days. And all the parents come in, and it's a very international school. So there are parents from Korea, Japan, Australia, uh, Mexico, El Salvador, all over the world, Um, Germany, Russia, Poland. And they set up educational booths, and they also make a little bit of food. And they put on this event that at that school, it's a very powerful event. Um, And I think it's sort of a great way for us to ask students what they get excited about during the day in class, but also outside of class because it won't be very long here. You'll be at one of our middle schools next year. Have you thought about what middle school you're going to go to next year? Um, Well, um, actually, I am in a uh, program called uh, Peninsula Bridge. So I like they give you the option if you want to go into something called the Choice Program. It's um, kind of where you choose what um, private middle school you want to go to. So right now I'm in the choice program and I'm still looking for uh, like schools that I want to go to. And some of the schools that I've thought of going is like Castilea, um, Sacred Heart, um, and like other schools kind of like that, like Nueva and Menlo. And I'm actually really excited to try to um, go to the schools. I actually went to the Castellia school a couple of days ago to go see what it's like. And I had like a toy card, like one of the students like showed me around the school and it's actually a really cool school. So I've been thinking of going to like one of those schools because um, 
I feel like it's a very big opportunity for me to go to a private school because I know that some other kids don't have that. And to bring it back to both Fiesta and Abbott and, and Laurel and some of our other schools, the program for Peninsula Bridge, it actually starts in fourth grade, so it started last year for you. Yes. And the program provides after-school instruction and college counseling and summer program and it follows the student until they finish college so they start when they're 10 years old when they're in fourth grade and they have the this group of people follow them and meet with them for over 10 years until they graduate college and part of the program is when they hit middle school the program gives them the option of going to any school they want. Um, and, and it's an example of how that might be something that some of our other community schools say, we need to bring Peninsula Bridge to our school because it's at San Mateo Park. So where can we pull programs like that? And there are other programs, Peninsula Bridge. The people that work there are amazing. They're very lovely people. We just created a new program at Highlands and at Laurel for Peninsula Bridge, so I'm excited. We have 40 <laughs> kids who started the program this year, um, and, and it didn't exist last year. But I think we have partners like Peninsula Bridge and others who are ready for us to step up and say, bring our kids to your programs. And I think the community schools process is gonna help us get there. And if we give parents that voice and that power, it ends up serving the community. So. What I want to end with, and I want to give each person an opportunity to share, and I'll start with you, Tanya, is give us a message about the importance of parents getting involved in their child's education. Okay. I think it is um, super important that parents start from the very beginning, not only because they will understand how their kids are doing, and then they can advocate for them and um, make sure that first of all, that their families are getting their needs, their needs met, um, but also to, to develop this sense of, of community with other families, but also with the teachers. It's important to have this partnership with the teachers throughout the entire um, school experience. Um, and then because, you know, they, they, we cannot leave everything just to the school. Definitely um, education starts at home, and then what the school will do is they will just work with you on that um, so we cannot let, we cannot just expect that everything is going to happen during the hours that the kids are away. So that's why we need to be in constant communication and understand what's going on. Really wise words from one parent to all the parents that are going to listen to this podcast. We have our student here, and one thing that I always want kids to to share with one another is what what has been the best thing for you about being at school? What has helped you the most at school? I think the um, most part that has helped me in school is probably like knowing that you're not alone in this. Like you can actually ask for help and you don't have to feel like uh, you're answering this on your own and like nobody's gonna help you. Like you can actually know that like, oh yeah, you can ask the teacher for help if you need help or if the teacher's not there, you can ask a friend. So I feel like that actually helps me a lot in school, like knowing that um, I'm not alone and knowing that I can ask for help if I need to and knowing that I'm not going to be judged. 
Wow, really equally equally powerful message. Um, Dr. Rubakaba, you are one of many school administrators in this district, and you get you're lucky to be able to be at all these schools and to see their school communities come together. What's your biggest hope for the community schools process? When it's all said and done, what's your biggest hope for community schools? I would say my biggest hope um, is to see, and I'm already starting to see this, um, parents fired up about their schools. Um, The kind of community school initiative process, the approach that that we took was, you know, one in which we were opening doors for families and inviting them to come to the table um, in a process that doesn't always traditionally happen, right? In schools, whether public or private, right? It's usually educators and folks on the inside, right, who organize and plan and just make decisions. Um, and we kind of, we turned the model upside down and we're now opening the doors for families to have opinions, to analyze data, to uh, really look at priorities and this, make decisions and decide on these priorities. Um, and so like my hope is to see just an even greater explosion of parent empowerment and engagement at our schools. Um, uh, not just at their own sites, but like getting involved in district level committees, right? And, and, and looking at things more globally. Um, because, you know, I, I firmly believe that when one child wins, they all win, right? And so um, just want that to happen <laughs> as a result. So I, I look forward to that. Well, and we're we're a couple of months away, but we're also on the doorstep of the work starting. Um, it is going to take the collaborative efforts of our teachers, our principals, our students, and our parents. Um, and I have every every confidence that we're going to get there. Um, and thank you all for joining me on the One SMFC podcast. Thank you.